Welcome to the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. Vintage Church is a multi-church, multi-city movement of truth, love, and community. For information, visit vintagechurchmovement.com. Here is this week's message. Hey, welcome to Vintage Church. If I've never met you before, my name is Dustin Turner, and I serve as the lead pastor of Vintage Church. Today, we are kicking off a brand new sermon series through the book of Haggai. I know many of us are unfamiliar with that book. We're unfamiliar maybe with where it is in our Bibles. We're unfamiliar with who the prophet is, what the book has to say. Uh, But I really think it is a timely word for us. We're right now in the middle of, I think, the fourth surge of COVID. Our kids are getting ready to go back to school. We're all masking up again, whether we're vaccinated or not. We've been back through phases. We've modified phases. I don't even know what phase we're in right now. We've all been ultimately phased by the coronavirus. And with that comes new normals. Now, here's the interesting thing. When we originally planned for this series, we were hoping the new normal was we're climbing up out of COVID and we're back to the very beginning where where the new normal looks like normal. But here we are and the new normal looks nothing like normal. And I still think the message that Haggai has for us has implications and significance for us. Because here's the thing, in the book of Haggai, as we're going to see, the people of Israel were in a new normal. And every time you jump into a new normal, here's what happens. You have an opportunity to look at your priorities. You have an opportunity to look at what matters most in life and ask yourself what needs to change. For me, as I think about COVID right now, and I think about the coronavirus, and I think about all the phases we have been in, I think back to several months ago. I think back to a year ago, and I remember where I was, and I remember where other people were, and I remember myself and others saying, man, I've learned some things about myself. And one of my concerns for us is we're not taking the lessons we learned way back there and beginning to apply them in our lives today. And that's really what we're going to be looking at in the book of Haggai. I want to encourage you, if you are new, this is, again, a brand new series. We're going to have a ton of resources right here at this link. And at that link, you're going to find my sermon notes, all of the sermon videos, sermon audio, uh, our V group study, as well as an introduction booklet to the book of Haggai. So if you're new to that book, you want to dig in deeper, you want to learn more, that's the place to go. I want to thank my, uh, our equipping team for putting in a lot of hard work to create that for you. But all of our resources over the next five weeks are going to be right there at that link. What I want to do is I want to read Haggai 1, just verses 1 through 11 today. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a little bit of context, because again, for many of us, this is a very new book. We haven't studied the book of Haggai. So let's read that together. If you're new to the Bible, if you turn more toward the middle of the book, you're going to, of the Bible, you're going to find the prophet Haggai. And here's what he says, Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, in the second year 
of Darius the king in the sixth month on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say, the time is not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. If you underline in your Bible, underline that phrase. Consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, again, consider your ways. Underline that. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce, and I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all of their labors. Now, again, like I said, in order to understand what's going on in the book of Haggai, you have to understand some of the context. So I'm going to run through these details because they're important, but it's a lot. In 586 BC, uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire entered into the southern kingdom, that is Judah, and they destroyed Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple, the temple that King Solomon built. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was beautiful. And in that temple dwelt the presence of the living God, the Lord. So when they destroyed Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple, they sent a group of exiles, uh, Israelites, into exile, into foreign lands, okay? Fast forward several years, 539 BC, Cyrus, king of Persia, conquers Babylon. So now there's a new ruling empire in the ancient world, and it is Persia. In 537 BC, the same king, Cyrus, issues an edict allowing a small group, I think a little over 40,000 Israelites, back to the land. Now, the land is small. This is just Jerusalem, okay? But even the land that they were dwelling in was literally almost a portion of the tribe of Judah. And when they come back, they're in even smaller area. There's not much that they have, okay? 
So they come back, they begin to rebuild the city you read about in Hosea chapter 1, Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the uh, governor of this land put in place by the Persians. He was also, and this will become really important later on in the book, a descendant of King David. Okay, So he comes and he helps lead the people. You also have Joshua or Yeshua, who was a high priest who descended from Aaron and the, and the Levites. They begin to rebuild the temple. First, they re- rebuild the altar where sacrifices uh, occurred, and then they laid the foundation to rebuild the temple. Now here's what happens. Because of external opposition and internal division, the temple sits for 20 years not rebuilt. All that is there for 20 years is simply a slab where the foundation is laid. In 520 B.C., Haggai, who we're reading, and the other prophet, Zechariah, come to the people and encourage Judah to finish building the temple. And then four years later, in 516 B.C., they rebuild the temple. These images are from the ESV Study Bible, and this is that rebuilt temple. This is what they think it looked like in Judah. Okay, So that gives you a little bit of context. The entire book of Haggai, if you can sum it up, is all about rebuilding the temple. Now, the temple stands for a lot of things, and that's part of what we're going to be looking at as we look in this book. But what we're really getting at is we're getting at what is God calling the people of Israel to, or Judah to, and ultimately, what is he calling us to? How is he challenging us? Now, there were two phrases in these 11 verses that I encourage you to underline. It was, consider your ways. And honestly, that's what I think the message is in these first 11 verses. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Consider what you have prioritized. If you wrote that down, I would encourage you to circle have. Consider what you have prioritized. This is past tense. You're looking back. Look at what God says through the prophet Haggai in verse 5. Consider your ways. In the Hebrew, it literally means to set your heart upon your ways. Some other translations translate that phrase like this. Think carefully. Look at what's happening. Or I love the message. Take a good hard look. So God is saying, consider your ways. What were the people to consider? Go back and look at verses 3 and 4. And in verses 3 and 4, God gets at the heart of the problem. Look at what he says. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has come to rebuild, or the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled house while this house lies in ruins? See, what was happening here is, again, they, they laid the foundation for the temple. And it just sat, and they didn't build it. But in the meantime, they went about rebuilding their homes. 
when, when he talks about rebuilding their homes as paneled houses, what he's talking about, most scholars believe, is he's talking about the roof, which implies what? That they finished their house. So they started to rebuild God's house, but they didn't finish. They finished their houses. What he's saying is, consider what you have prioritized. As I think about the temple, I don't know if you've driven past this, it's on the, uh, the um, overpass over the interstate going on Broad. It's past all the courthouses, and it kind of was where Broad turns into Broadmoor. To your left or your right, uh, if you're looking at the Superdome on Broad to the left, you'll see like, it's where the old times Picayune building used to be. There's a, a, some structure that's incomplete. It's supposed to be uh, the drive shack, which is like a, a golf thing. And it's been sitting there for like a year and a half, and I had no idea what was going on with it. So I, I Googled it, and I found out that there's a legal dispute, and now people are being sued and that kind of thing. But I see that often. And at first, I was like, when are they ever going to complete this? And now I drive past it, and I just see, well, that's, it is what it is. Think about the temple like that. For, for maybe in the beginning, they rebuilt the temple there set the foundation, and they were thinking to themselves, we're going to get back to that. But then five years passed, 10 years passed, 20 years passed, and they walk by the foundation of the temple without even thinking about it. Well, that's, we started, we're not finished, and we might not ever finish. That's what's happening here. Now, the issue gets at what God says about the people. They say, the time has not yet Come Now again, they had time to rebuild their houses, but they didn't have time to rebuild the temple. I thought about it like this, you know, I don't know if you've ever been doing something and then you're saying to yourself, well, I'll get back to that after I do this. I mean, Jesus, when people came to follow Jesus in the Gospels and Jesus said, you know, follow me, they would say, well, I need to go finish uh, farming, or I need to go get married, or I need to go bury my father. And Jesus said, listen, the dead will bury the bed. The dead will bury the dead. Just go. See, these Israelites, these Judites were making excuses. And their excuses were not about pious reluctance. Instead, their excuses were because they were lazy, they were self-centered, and ultimately they were hard-hearted. There was no piety involved at all. And because, the, because they did not prioritize what mattered most, the people were cursed. They were cursed because of their poorly ordered priorities. Now, this is difficult, I think, for us to understand because... In our day and age, we don't deal with blessings and curses. But God says, you are cursed. How? There's a poor harvest. They've planted, but they've not, done, they've not been able to harvest. There's, because of that, not enough food. There's not enough to drink. There's not enough clothing. They put money in their pocket, and literally the money, the image is the money falls out. 
And to understand what's going on in the book of Haggai with the temple, with the blessings, with the curse, you have to remember the covenant. Every single thing that happens in the book of Haggai is understood in light of the covenant. Just a few months ago, we started going through the book of Exodus together. And the Exodus is so important because it has to do with the covenant. The covenant was a relationship that the God of the universe made with the people of Israel. And so everything about these blessings and curses, it's not arbitrary, it's based on the covenant. Basically, God came to the people of Israel and said, I will be your God, you will be my people. I will uphold this part of my covenant, and you will uphold this part of the covenant. And if we both uphold the covenant, you will be blessed. But if you break the covenant, if you don't uphold what I tell you to do, you will be cursed. Look at what it says in the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy is the last book of the Pentateuch or the Torah of the law. And it starts in Deuteronomy 28 talking about blessing. Look at what it says. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all of his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. If you keep reading in Deuteronomy 28, you're going to read about all of the blessings. But then look at Deuteronomy 28, 15. Here's where God brings in the curses. He says, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all of his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all of these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And again, if you read after verse 15 in Deuteronomy 28, you are going to see curses. See, everything in the book of Haggai is about covenant, which is ultimately about relationship. God is not cursing Israel because he hates them. He's saying, listen, this was the agreement. This is what we agreed to together, that if we obey the covenant, if we honor the covenant, our relationship will be well. And see, here's the reality. God has always wanted a relationship with his people. That didn't end with the people of Israel. It continues today through the person of Jesus. See, God sent his son Jesus. Jesus is God who came to earth, put on flesh, lived a perfect, sinless life, but then went to the cross, not for his sin, not for his disobedience, but for ours. Died on the cross, rose from the grave, allowing us to be back in relationship with God. The Bible says that when we, number one, repent, when we turn away from the way we have been living, when we recognize we've disobeyed God, number two, when we believe or when we have faith, when we look to the cross and look to the resurrection and trust in Jesus to save us, and then number three, publicly confess that faith through baptism. Going under the water, being buried with Jesus, and coming up out of the water, being raised like Jesus. The Bible says we'll be saved or we will be made right with God. 
See, God has always wanted us to be in relationship with Him. So if Israel had to consider what they have prioritized, what will you consider? And I think really the question gets at this, what are you prioritizing over God? In his book, Counterfeit Gods, Tim Keller discusses deep idols and surface idols. We've talked about this before, but I think this really gets at prioritizing. And I know we wouldn't typically think, well, that's idolatry, but anything we put over God ultimately is idolatry. So the way that Tim Keller describes this is he starts with the deep idol of power. And he says, power is this, life only has meaning, I only have worth if I have power and influence over others. Now, how, that's the deep idol. How does that play out on the surface? It plays out like this, when you want control, position, influence, success, or strength. Those are what we see on the surface. Number two, the deep idol of approval. Life only has meaning, or I only have worth, if I am loved and respected by you fill in the blank. That plays out on the surface when you prioritize relationships, achievements, ethnicity, social circles, appearance. Number three, the deep idol of comfort. Life only has meaning. I only have worth if I have this kind of pleasure experience or a particular quality of life. That's played out on the surface when you're looking for pleasure, health, freedom, excesses, a home, vehicles, recreation. Lastly, the deep idol of control. Life only has meaning or I only have worth if I'm able to get mastery over my life in the area of you fill in the blank. And that plays out on the surface by looking at things like family or finances, protection, religion, safety, future. Now, here's the thing, right? You probably looked at that list and said, some of those things aren't bad. I mean, is family bad? Are finances bad? Protection? Safety? Future? Are those things bad? No. The point about idolatry is you are placing them above God. And that's what had happened with the people of Israel. They had built their houses instead of building God's house. They had prioritized their self over God. So here's my question that I want you to think about. What do your current priorities reveal about yourself? I would encourage you, write that question down, and this week, think about your answer. And ask that question, what do your current priorities reveal about yourself? Because that's going to show you something. So the people were to consider what they have prioritized. But I also think what God is getting at in, this, in these verses is this. Number two, that we should reconsider what you should prioritize. Again, if you're writing these down, I would encourage you, circle should. Now we're thinking more future thinking and what we could change, what we could do differently. Again, you probably noticed this. Verse 5, consider your ways. Verse 7, consider your ways. Again, what were the people to reconsider? In verse 8, God says it. He, this is what he wants the people to do. 
They've rebuilt their houses and not God's house. What are they to reconsider? Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. What God wanted the people of Israel to reconsider is he wanted them to rebuild his house. They couldn't go back and change their priorities, but now they had a chance to straighten things out and make things right. And when God says that he wants them to do this so that he could take pleasure, what he's getting at is if the people of Israel complete the temple, what does it show? It shows what's at the heart of the people. And that's what God is pleased with, that when he sees his people with the right priorities. And if, if God's people have the right priorities, then what happens? The temple is rebuilt. God's presence dwells with the people. They go to the temple and worship him, and he's what? Glorified. Everything that God does, and ultimately everything that you and I, that we do, should be about God's glory. So the people were to reconsider all of these things. See, what God is getting at, and I think we understand this, if something really matters to you, you'll prioritize it. Right? If, if you want to pay off debt, or if you want to save, or if you want to buy that thing, you will prioritize how you use your money. If you want to lose weight, if you want to get healthy, you will prioritize what you eat and what you do with your body. If it really matters to you, you will prioritize the right things. That's what God is getting at with the people of Israel. And again, he goes and he really asks, why were they not being blessed? Again, it goes back to this curse. In, in the end of this passage, in verses 10 and 11, he talks about a drought. He talks about how the heavens are withholding the dew, and therefore they're not able to have produce. There's a drought on the land, on the grain, the new wine, the oil. Even though they're working hard, they're not producing the results that they want. And here's the thing. It wasn't bad luck. It was disobedience. The reason that the people were not getting what they needed and what they wanted was because they were being disobedient to God. Now, typically, here's how we think about God. Look at what this author writes. He says, religion treats God like a slot machine. Put in the coin of good works, pull the handle, and hope for the jackpot. That's what we tend to think. But again, all of this goes back to relationship. Remember, God sent his son Jesus. Why? The gospel is about what? It's about a relationship. In the Old Testament, the blessings and the curses are about what? It's about relationship. The reason they were experiencing what they were experiencing was because they had disobeyed God and they had broken the covenant. And God said in Deuteronomy 28, if you do this, you will be blessed. But if you do this, you will be cursed. Now, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 3 takes up the language of blessing and curse. I want you to read this with me and see what it says. Galatians 3 verses 10 through 14. Paul writes, For all who rely on works of the law are what? Under 
a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous, righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, he's quoting the Old Testament here, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ... Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, again, Old Testament, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That is, blessing of Abraham is relationship. That God would be in relationship. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now, let me, let me just summarize what Paul is saying. Number one, we can't uphold the law. And what I, what I mean by the law is I mean the Old Testament law, the Torah, what God told Israel to do. Therefore, what? We're cursed. We are dis disobedient and therefore separated from God. But what did God do? God sent his son Jesus, and Jesus became our curse. He took the curse that was on us. But at the same time, despite taking the curse, Jesus was perfect. He actually upheld the Torah. He upheld the law of God. And because, he, because Jesus took the curse and at the same time lived out the law perfectly, no longer are we cursed, but we are what? Blessed. So see, everything that Haggai is writing about regarding blessings and curse find their fulfillment in Jesus. So for you and I, what it means is, even though we can't uphold the law, it's, it's impossible to be perfect and uphold the law because we are sinful by nature and we are sinners, meaning we are going to commit sin. We are going to disobey God. Jesus never disobeyed, nor will he disobey God. And his death on the cross took the penalty for our sin, took the punishment for our sin, took the curse off us and gave us the blessing. That is what? Relationship with God. To be in the family of God. To be united with God. And again, the way we get there, repenting, believing, baptism. We walk away from our sins. We turn away from the way we have been living. We turn to Jesus and look to his cross and his resurrection and trust that to save us. And then we publicly confess, telling God and the world that we follow Jesus. In the book of Haggai, we see the blessings and the curses that find their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. So if the people of Israel were to reconsider, what will you reconsider? If God really matters to you, you'll reconsider and alter your priorities. Now, listen, this is a gut check for all of us. Because every single one of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we're looking around at our lives, and we're looking at what we are prioritizing most, and we have to ask ourselves, in all of our priorities, 
is God the most important priority? And I don't have to tell you this. You have experienced this. You know this. If COVID has done anything, it has revealed to us where our priorities really lie. And for many of us, no longer are we going through the motions. Instead, we just throw all of that aside and say, you know what, forget about it. I want to do this because I want to do this. Rather than, I want to do this because God wants me to do this. I've brought this verse up many times in the last few months. Matthew 6.33. I think Jesus gets at what our priority should be. Seek first the kingdom of God. Not second, not third, not at the end of the list, but seek first. First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. What does that look like? What does it look like to seek first the kingdom of God? Simply put, Jesus, I think, says it in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. He's summarizing the law here. He's summarizing the Ten Commandments and he's summarizing all of the law when he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Simply put, you shall love God with every fabric of your being. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is interesting. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You want to know what the book of Haggai is about? It's about loving God and loving people. You want to know what the Old Testament is about? It's about loving God and loving people. Do you know what it means to seek first the kingdom of God? It's about loving God and loving people. Do you know what your number one priority should be? Number one, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And number two, love your neighbor as yourself. And as you reconsider your priorities, you have to be honest with yourself to say, number one, am I loving God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, with every ounce of my being, with everything that I have? And number two, do I love people as much as I love myself? If you can't answer those two questions in the affirmative, that you love God and you love people, then you need to reconsider your priorities. And here's the reality. I have a feeling every single one of us have to do that. Every single one of us have to look at our priorities and wonder where we need to shift things. So here's the question. How would someone else see that God is the first priority in your life? If I came to you, what evidence would I find in your life to say, no doubt, God's the number one priority? Or would I look at your life and say, you know what, it looks like that is a better priority. It looks like that is more important. How would I know the difference? What would it look like? I I said it earlier, and I still think it's true. I don't think COVID has changed a lot. I mean, yes, no doubt We're living in a very different world, and we're back masking. Uh, Even if you're vaccinated, right, we're careful to be around certain people. Things are different. 
but in many ways we're the same. And all that COVID has really done is it has showed us what matters most to you. It has shown me this is what matters most to me. And here's the thing. My question is this, that I'm thinking for myself, are my current priorities the priorities I should have? Is God pleased with what is most important to me? That's what is happening in the book of Haggai. God has been faithful to bring the people of Israel back to the promised land, back to where they're supposed to be. And as they get back to that promised land, the most important thing is not the most important thing. They're in this new normal. It's not what they thought it was going to be. It's different. But even in the new normal, the most important thing isn't the most important thing. You and I, we are in a new normal. And only God knows how long this new normal is going to last. And my question for you is, as you look at your priorities, is the most important thing, the most important thing in your life? Can you say that you are seeking the kingdom of God first? Can you say that you love God and love people above everything else? We've all been phased. We're all going to go through phases. We're in a new normal, but that doesn't mean our priorities should be wrong. Consider what you've prioritized and reconsider what you should prioritize. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that you love us. And God, we just thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you for a book that was written over 2,000 years ago. And yet, at the heart of it, it still gets to us. And so I pray, Father, that you would help us to consider our priorities. Help us to consider what in our lives should matter most. And then, God, help us to think about how we are going to prioritize you and people above everything else. And so as we go into this time of response, God, help us respond to you. We love you and we thank you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name.